If you have your Bible with you this morning, our, uh, the words to which I would call your attention to this morning come to us from Matthew chapter 10. And we'll be looking especially at verses 16 to 25 of Matthew chapter 10. As we read now, this is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's give attention to it. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of of his household? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to ask your blessing now. Um, These are your words. They are divinely inspired. They are without error in the original documents. Uh, They are infallible. They lead us perfectly into the truth, and we will never be put to shame if we obey them. Uh, But Father, they, they do us no good, really, if they are not accompanied by the enlightening work of your Holy Spirit. So we pray and ask that you convict us of sin and help us to repent and to walk faithfully before you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that you notice about athletes is there, there are sort of two, two things that go into being a good athlete. One is the physical preparation and just knowing how to, to play the game. Um, if we had a quiz right now on how to play on the rules of Australian League football, probably most of you uh, would fail. I would fail. Why is the field an oval? We don't understand. That's for NASCAR. Uh, but it's Part of being a good athlete is knowing the rules of the game, um, manipulating them in your favor, as it were, perhaps on a couple of pass interference calls. Um, But the other part of the game is is having the mental readiness. Um, Players will talk about being in the zone. Uh, Reggie Miller used to talk about in his playoff games against the Knicks that he would be in the zone. He couldn't miss a a three-pointer uh, a closer will come out and say, I, you know, I have this special music. The, as I'm preparing, I'm getting into this mindset to focus on what I am doing. I have to have a particular perspective. And so if you're unfocused, if you're undisciplined, then you're not going to play well. It doesn't matter how, if you know the rules or not. 
If your mind, if you're not mentally ready, you, you won't play well. And so as we look at um, this, the latter part of Jesus' sermon here in, in Matthew chapter 10, one of the things that he is saying to you is you have to have a particular mindset as a Christian. He's speaking to the apostles, preparing them to go out into the world, and he's giving them a mindset. And one of the things I would have you notice here is that um, in verses 5 to 15, Jesus spoke of the work that the disciples were, do, were to do. But then in 16 to 42, 16 to 42 is all about the perspective, how they are to think about that work. The Christian has a particular mindset in the world. And speaking as a pastor, as a shepherd, I would say to you that one of the things that many perhaps most Christians sorely lack today is not a profession of faith. They have that. What most Christians lack is the mindset of a Christian. As we live in the world, we remember that the world is not our friend. Christ is our friend. And Jesus is exhorting the apostles in order to send them out. And and as I said, the first part of that is what the work is. He's setting the parameters. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what you're not to do. And then the second part, he's telling them how to think about this. He doesn't want them to go out as ignoramuses. If you played the little peg game at Cracker Barrel, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you leave four, okay? You're just an ignoramus. That won't do. You don't send men into the mission field not knowing what to do. That would be unloving, unkind. They have to know what to expect. And so here Jesus is saying that understanding the mission, Jesus is teaching his people to have a certain demeanor, to have a certain outlook, a certain peace, and a certain plan, all while seeking to model him. And so we begin with thinking just for a second about the apostle's circumstance. First of all, the apostle's circumstance, or that is understanding the mission in verse 16. And then notice what Jesus said to them there. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is the controlling idea. I, and it's emphatic, I myself am sending you. Jesus knows what he's doing. The, the, the end of their mission is not unknown to him. He knows exactly what's happening. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so coming after this controlling idea that Christ is sending them, he gives them four commands. Be wise and innocent. Beware of men. Don't worry about what you're going to say. And then run. Those are the four commands. But what they always come back to is this very fact that Christ has sent them out. When they encounter the battle that the world forces forces upon them, they know that they are sent men. Christ is sending them out as prey among predators. So we go back to chapter 7 and verse 15. We reflect on what 
Jesus said there as a warning, said, Beware of false prophets, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It, it isn't mine, but maybe one of your favorite rides at Disney World is a small world. To me, it's a psychological torture, probably developed by the Chinese. Um, I lost my favorite Braves hat, dear. Rest in peace. Um, but the message that we get on small world is an anti-Christian message. Coca-Cola has produced anti-Christian messages. What the world needs is a Coke. And you see, what, what you're being asked to believe is that actually you live in amongst the people who we have everything in common and everything is innocent and, and no one has anything against you. But Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The controlling thought, my dear brothers, is that there are men out there who want nothing more than to destroy you. They desire your harm and they will delight to do it. Isn't this, isn't this the very first message after the fall? Abel, seeking to live faithfully for Christ, was martyred for his faith by his own brother. The world is not full of innocent men waiting for some nice Christians to come share the gospel with them. It isn't. And that's the first thing that is the first thing, when Jesus is establishing the mindset of his men, that is the first thing he says to them. Understand that when you go out and you begin to sweep the dust, some people are going to start coughing and they're going to say, stop sweeping the dust. After he gives them the context of their calling, now he talks to them about the demeanor. How are you to go out? You might say, well... Okay, Jesus, this, this is not sounding as wonderful as you started out. We have all this power. We're going to heal men of their diseases, and we're going to cast out demons. Surely people are going to flock to us like they did to you. They're going to pat us on the back. You know Judas is thinking that. Money. And Jesus says no. Actually, Therefore, you need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is to, their, to be their demeanor. How are they to go out and to face the world? Well, they're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is the first of four commands. This is a, an odd statement. It's sort of a proverbial statement. But the only other place that we have these two words together in Scripture, wise and serpent, you might know. Genesis 3.1. And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. What Jesus is reminding these men of is that they are going out into the midst of an ancient warfare. Go back with me just for a second. Hold your place. I want you to clap eyes on Genesis 3.15 just for a second if you've not remembered it or haven't reflected on it in, in some time, I want you to see these words. Jesus is speaking to the serpent. And I want you to see the first four words. The 
If I were in office, I might say three words, but it's actually four. Genesis 3.15. God is speaking to the serpent and cursing him. And he says, notice these words, I will put enmity. You know what enmity is, is hatred or strife. I will put enmity. So you're not going to have to do anything to stir it up. It just is there. There is a warfare. There is an animosity. There is a hatred where between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So when we come back now to Matthew chapter 10, what Jesus is doing is he is reminding his apostles that they're going out onto a battlefield. This is not go out and hand hand out lollipops and people are going to love you and they're going to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No. As soon as you start proclaiming the kingdom has come, there are going to be uh, people who load their guns. He reminds them that there are only two types of people in the world. There are only two types of people in the world. Those who belong to Christ and those who belong to the devil. There are only two types. There will only ever be two types. And so he is telling them, understand the serpent's thinking. Don't be blithe about this. Don't be Pollyannas. Don't think that, oh, this guy, he's going to come around and, and, and get there. People will hate you. But he's also telling them, be innocent as doves. Don't act like the serpents. Understand how they think, but don't act like them. It isn't sufficient for you to to go out and bring persecution on yourself. We understand that God's people must neither be obnoxious and court persecution or be so timid that they are worthless as saltless salt. I used to have some family members who were described as having a very private religion. You might have heard this before. They are... They believe in Christ, but they're very private about their faith. Well, there are probably some people that you, you think, well, they're so private about it that I wonder if Jesus even knows. J.C. Ryle says, the extreme into which most men are liable to fall in the present day is that of silence, cowardice, and letting others alone. Our so-called prudence, I'm just going to be quiet so I don't lose my job, be quiet so that people will like me. Our so-called prudence is apt to degenerate into a compromising line of conduct. This is exactly what we're finding in our day. Or downright unfaithfulness. We are only too ready to suppose that it is of no use trying to do good to certain people. We excuse ourselves from efforts to benefit their souls by saying it would be indiscreet or inexpedient or would give needless offense or would even do positive harm. Let us all watch and be on our guard against this spirit. Laziness and the devil are often the explanation of it. To give way to it is pleasant to flesh and blood, no doubt, and saves us much trouble. But those who give way to it often throw away great opportunities of usefulness. 
As we go out being shrewd as serpents or wise as serpents, understanding how serpents think, understanding that people will hate the gospel and hate you just because you live faithfully for Christ, we don't stop. We don't intentionally stir it up, but we live with a certain boldness. Thirdly, Jesus teaches them what is to be their outlook. Look with me at verses 17 to 18. What is to be their outlook? What's going to happen to us when we start preaching? Well, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. This is the, the second command. Beware. Be cautious. Don't be gullible. Don't let men easily dupe you. Why should they beware of men? Well, Jesus here gives us sort of a foretaste of the Olivet Discourse. You remember this is in Matthew 25 and 26 is where we're going to get into all of this. Uh, before this generation passes away, all these things will come to pass and earthquakes and wars. Well, we get a little bit of a foretaste for that here. Jesus tells them, look, they're going to try you. Ecclesiastical church courts are going to drag you in and try you for proclaiming my message. They're going to whip you. They're going to beat you. Persecution will come from those who are spiritual. We see this in our day again, don't we? It is shocking after the passage or after the uh, Supreme Court kicked Roe versus Wade back to the states, how many pastors, quote unquote, said, well, we believe that women ought to have the right to choose. I don't believe in abortion per se, but I think women ought to have the right to choose. So, Men ought to have the right to choose whom they kill at any time, right? And those who hold a biblical line are persecuted even within the church. You remember in Mark, remember where it was that Christ encountered the first demon-possessed man? In the synagogue. Jesus warns them that they will try them in the ecclesiastical courts and they will try them in secular courts. But what is the result? You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, because of me. This is, this is the reminder. It's, don't take this as though you're doing something wrong or you need to hold back or get off the gas pedal a little bit. You're being dragged before them for my sake. I have appointed this for you so that you would be a witness to the Gentiles and the world. Jesus is saying, this is how my gospel will go forward. And so for us, this is a reminder that you're not being punished, you're not doing things wrong when you're persecuted. Whatever the source it is. As long as you're walking in tandem with God's word, don't shy away. Don't think that you're doing something wrong when you're persecuted or people shun you. Expect this. This is to be the apostles' outlook. Fourthly, we see the apostles' peace, verses 19 to 20. 
This is the third command. You think if this, if, if this were your circumstance, you might, you might sit down and say, okay, I'm going to go before the ecclesiastical courts. I might be placed under church discipline and flogged. I'm going to go to the local court. I'm going to sit down right now and I'm going to plan out exactly what I'm going to say. This is going to be my personal defense. That would be the temptation. You need to get ready. You need to prepare yourself for that moment. Notice what Jesus' third command is. Don't be anxious about that. Don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. Why aren't they to be worried about it? Well, because Jesus says, listen, wherever I send you, whatever circumstance I appoint for you, I am going with you. And this is how closely I will be to you. As long as you are in communion with me, I am going to be so close to you that I will give you the words to say. Your Father will speak through you. The Spirit of Christ accompanies you wherever He calls you to go. And what we recognize is that no matter what Christ ordains for us as His witnesses, He has never left us on our own. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 reminds us that, that Scripture is the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And so the Christians, our work, our daily effort, our daily labor is to read God's Word, is to digest God's Word, is to take it in. Because I want to think about things the way that Christ does. This is His will for us. And the Christian who entrusts himself to Christ, who takes His Word in, can have this confidence That in the hour, in the very hour of persecution, in that moment, even if if you're doing nothing but praying to the Lord in that moment, He will give you what to say. You think about all of our Afghani and North Korean brothers and sisters for whom this is a reality day by day. How does this comfort them? Christ is with you. And I think the ultimate confidence is this. That Christ is sending you out. But He's going with you. And He is directing your steps in an intimate and a tender way. He's not leaving you to yourself. And so there's no reason for the believer to say, well, maybe I just didn't use the right words. Or maybe if I'd have taken some snacks to the meeting, more people would have responded. Maybe if I cried a little bit more before the judge, he would have been um, kinder to me. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1 says that the plans of a man's heart belong to a man but the answer of the tongue belongs to the Lord. When we live in union with Jesus Christ by His Spirit, digesting His Word, seeking Him in prayer, the promise that He gives to us is that He goes with us, giving us what we should say even in the hour of persecution. Fifthly, we see the Apostles' plan in verses 21 to 23. 
Here's the only plan that they needed. When things get hot in the city, run away. There's no shame in running. You may be aware that right now in the United States of America, there is a great migration going on. Did you know this? Lots of people are moving. And uh, United Van Lines actually keeps track of this. They, they keep a running register of where people are moving to and where they're moving from. And it probably won't surprise you that for about 10 years now, uh, the top state from which people are moving is Illinois. I have no idea why that might be. Illinois, California, New York, New Jersey, Michigan. And the top inbound states are South Carolina, Idaho, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Florida. Number, number one on the list last year was Idaho. It's not because people love potatoes. There is a Christian wisdom in not subjecting yourself and your family to persecution. There comes a time when in the wisdom of God, you leave. Notice what Jesus says to them. You're going to go through a time a brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and children rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Notice what Jesus is saying, that the gospel of Jesus Christ as the kingdom comes that even families will be divided one from the other. And, and one example of that, I think, is when Paul arrived in Thessalonica. Do you remember that whole circumstance? He, on his journey, he went to the city of Thessalonica. This is in Acts chapter 17. And when he got there, as was his custom, he preached in their synagogues for three consecutive Sabbaths. And as you think about that... Uh, um, what's going on there is he's preaching Christ and he's opening the Old Testament scriptures and showing them that the Messiah must come and that the Messiah would be the man Jesus. And so here's what's happening. A wife comes and her husband stays home sick. And the, the wife is converted to Christ and she goes home and tells her husband, and he says, no way. No way. Or a son comes, and he's converted, and goes back and tells his father. And the father says, absolutely not. You either renounce that teaching, or you're out of the house. This went on for centuries. Even Tertullian would write about, I've told you this before, how a woman who was unfaithful to her husband but tolerated by him, as soon as she would convert to Christ and become a Christian and renounce her adultery, then the husband would put her out of the house. That happened. And Jesus tells his men that they will be hated, but that there's no dishonor in fleeing at the right time. You think of Paul. What happened in Thessalonica? Well, 
he was dragged into Jason's house and they held him for a time as the people were standing outside with pitchforks and fires and Molotov cocktails and whatever else they could scrounge up. And they came to a deal with the civil magistrate. Perhaps the deal was, please, we'll give Paul safe passage out of the city and he promises never to come back. And they shook hands and they let Paul go. There are times where it is right to leave, to take your family out of a situation or an institution and say, this is godless. We need to go. We depend on the wisdom of Christ to teach us when those times are. And people will be disagreed. We know that there are faithful believers still in California, still in New York, still in Illinois. But we pray and we ask the Lord to give us the wisdom when it is time to stay and fight and when it is time to flee. Sixthly, we see the apostles' recognition in verses 24 to 25. Now, this is the concluding, there's no command here. This is just the concluding uh, recognition by the apostles. Look, guys, you've, you've seen how I've been treated so far. Do not expect that you're going to be treated any better than I am. A disciple is not above his teacher, and a slave is not above his master. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying this, if you apply everything that I have taught you, if you are faithful to the letter, to what I have been teaching you and what I will teach you, and if you go out and you teach other people to believe and do those things, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to crucify me. My own people, my own tribe is going to put me on a cross and kill me. And let's just go back. What happened to Jeremiah? What happened to Elijah? What happened to Elisha? Now, Elisha is a great lesson in what happens to young children who persecute bald men. Every one of them is persecuted. Jeremiah, they lowered him down into a pit. A disciple is not above his teacher. If you apply what you've been taught, you should get the same result as your teacher. If you do everything your master tells you, you should experience the same result that he does. And this applies in a Christian context as well. Understanding the mission. Jesus teaches his disciples here to have a certain demeanor. Do you see? He is appealing to their minds. This is how you think about the world. And so you and I, we have to be confident that Christ has sent us out into the world. Nothing that happens to us is accidental. There is an ancient warfare that we are taking part in. And we must also, just as Christ did, expect strong reactions against the gospel. When we go into Macomb, remember, or Summit, or Magnolia, remember that, that there are wolves in our community. Men who are appointed to destruction. 
who will never have a chance at a positive response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christ will give you words. If you are communing with Him, He will give you wisdom to face that persecution. To know what to say in those circumstances. But in the end, we must be faithful to imitate Christ and not let go of that call whatever the cost may be. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank You that You have sent us out into this world to be faithful, calling men to repentance. We ask that You would give us boldness and innocence, that we would, we would be bold to proclaim the gospel, but that we would not live in such a way as tears down that proclamation and brings unwanted dishonor to the church of Jesus Christ. We ask that you be gracious to us. Help us not to be fearful. Even when we see that the gospel, the effect of the gospel is not peace but war. Help us not to shrink back, but to be faithful to you. We pray in your name. Amen.